so much. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. And uh, this is our, our final talk in the Rise Up series, uh, a series that's been considering vision. Uh, it's also the time of year when we turn our thinking to giving as well. And, uh, and uh, really the correlation of vision and giving are related because as we give, we provide and we make provision for the future. And, and, and the truth is, and this morning I want to talk about youth and children and, and our vision for these things. Because the truth is, if we don't make provision for that future, then there will not be a future. COVID had a devastating impact in terms of youth and children's work within our church. Uh, quite dramatic. Uh, overnight, it became very difficult to, to maintain these things. We did, and we, we did some very innovative and creative things. But, but it, it meant that while the generation, particularly of young people that we had, came through, and then uh, there was about a dozen of them, 15 of them. I gave them sex ed, which might worry you. And, um, and then they, uh, but they all left and went off to university and, uh, and did other things. And, and, and COVID hadn't allowed us to build a new community behind them to come through. And, uh, and so we suddenly find ourselves building a new youth work, a, a new thing. Children, it was slightly easier, but still left us with profound challenges in terms of this. And, and as a church, we're in a place where it's, it's a matter of rebuilding and redeveloping the, the, the work amongst children and young people. And, and here's the reality. We used to employ two and a half people directly, exclusively in relation to that area of the life of the church. At this moment in time, we employ no one in relation to that. And, and if we are to change that, we need resource. And, and again, the development of ministry amongst young people and children, I hope every one of us would agree, is fundamental and essential. And it's an area where the church must invest, but we can only invest if we have the resource base in order to do that. And, and, and that's why, uh, particularly those of us who are able, it is very important at this time of year and as we come up to a gift day, that we all review our giving and we look at what we're giving and, and really asking God, God, is, is, am I reflecting the disciplines in the way that I'm managing my finances, Christian disciplines in the way that I'm managing them? I, I've always said I, I try to teach my kids kind of three things, that, that it's good to save some money, it's good to spend some money. They, they never struggled with that one. And it's good to give some money away. And, and do you have a balanced budget in, in the way that you are using your resources and the money that you have? And again, I believe that if the church is obedient to what God calls it to do, then the resources are there for what God asks us to go on and do. And I believe that the mission and work amongst young people and children is not only a good thing, it is an essential thing. And if the church is to have a future, it must invest and seriously invest in terms of the upcoming generations. We've talked in the last few weeks about a church in the city for the city, visible and accessible. And that church in the city for the city must have a vision 
for the coming generation. I, I heard, uh, again, this is pre-COVID. I, I don't know if it's still true. It probably won't be far off, but it was said certainly pre-COVID that if the church retained all the children that were in its ranks at that moment, we would, there would be an end to church decline overnight in Scotland. Just think about that. That's without adding anyone. Overnight, if we manage to retain that, anyone that's a parent or talks, young people, will know that this is not an easy thing. And actually, I believe that in this context, it's more challenging than ever before. I, I, I mean, the, I certainly talking to teachers, uh, they, they, they tell me about the impact that COVID had in the last few years has had on a generation of children. And, and don't get me wrong, it was already bad before we went into COVID. The, the, the breakdown of family life is massive in terms of children and young people and has had devastating consequences in terms of our society. And, and again, I hope that's not a matter of debate. If you just look at it from all areas, from economic, from psychological, from educational, all of these things have had bearing an impact. And so already we were looking at a generation of children that were the most traumatized probably of any generation thus far. But then COVID came and it dramatically changed and brought many of the, the, the issues of anxiety and fear and all sorts of things to the fore. I, I was talking to one of the heads of guidance in one of the local schools and, and he was saying to me, he's saying, before COVID, we used to number the number of children that needed special support and were going through really difficult things. And, you know, and two hands maybe. He said, now we talk about a percentage of the school. And that shows how it's shifted. And as Christians, our vision for the future just can't ignore that and say it's not important. We need to do something. But working with young people and children in this environment is incredibly difficult. We need to pray for our teachers and all those who are involved in supporting young people and children because at the moment, these jobs are even more arduous than they were at any time, I think, in the past. You know, because young people are tough. I want to just describe someone writing about young people said this, I see no hope for the future if we are dependent on the frivolous youth of today. Modern youth are reckless beyond words. When I was young, we were taught to be respectful, but today's youth are impatient and arrogant, failing to see what is useful and squandering all their money. Pretty apt description of young people. You'll be surprised to know that that was a contemporary of Elijah, a Greek philosopher who wrote that. <laughs> Maybe young people have always been tough. <laughs> Maybe it's something that, that's part and parcel of growing up. And here we see a story in, uh, in 2 Kings 2 of one generation moving to another generation. The book of Kings, actually, we, we, we divide our, our, uh, the, the narrative uh, that's in the Old Testament in Samuel and Kings into two books. But actually, in the Hebrew Bible, it was one book. 
So the story began, in our Bibles we call it 1 Samuel, but in the Hebrew Bible it was 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 3 Kings, 4 Kings. So our, our, our uh, two kings is actually 4 Kings in the Hebrew Bible. And it was all one narrative, and it was the story of how God starts with Samuel the prophet, moves to Elijah, but it was how the God raised up kings, and how these kings moved away from God. And God raised up prophets to speak into the life of these kings to call them back. And that's the story that we're reading in 2 Kings. And here we read of the seminal transition point as Elijah hands over the reins to Elisha. And, and, and Elisha was a young man who had a prophetic vision. You know, as we see, as he, he traveled with Elijah, we see that Elijah saw the chariots and horses of fire that surrounded him and Elijah. He understood the purpose and plan of God for his life and ministry. Isn't that a, an amazing thing? You see, vision is not about looking at the material, it's looking at the immaterial. It's seeing what God is doing and getting to work with what God is doing. I've sometimes found that young people can grasp this quicker often than adults. I don't know why, maybe our brains are all clouded with all sorts of other things. Maybe our experience can be an asset, but also a hindrance at times. Sometimes they don't know that you can't do that. And, 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 and here is Elisha, and he is able to see what God is doing. Isn't that the kind of young people and children that we want to rise up? Children that can see what God is doing and understand the purpose and plan that he has for their lives and ministries. Don't we want a church that is full of young people like that? So how do we raise up a generation? How do we see that as part of the church's future and vision? Well, I think we see some principles in this story. First of all, we see that in order to raise up a new generation, Elijah had to be faithful. Verses 1 through 5 show us Elijah continuing to be open to the prompting of God's Spirit. You, you read it. God told him to go to Gilead goes to Gilead. God tells him to go to Bethel. He goes to Bethel. God tells him to go to Jericho. He goes to Jericho. He's being faithful and consistent in his calling and continuing in that. You know, in the, in the kingdom of God, there is no retirement. And, uh, and, and the, the, the scary thing is children learn from us. You ever notice that? They learn from our example. They read our attitudes. And I uh, remember talking to one of my kids when they were about three or four. And uh, they walked into the kitchen and they looked up and they said, I'm getting really sick and tired of this attitude. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Where did they hear that? <laughs> you know, they model and follow the example. And here's the thing, our children and young people will look at our lives and our attitudes towards God and towards church, towards serving God, and, and they will take the read from that. 
And if we are not being faithful and diligent in the example that we are setting, then actually we'll fail to raise a new generation. If we set a kind of attitude which says, well, we'll go to church when we haven't got anything better to do. And the kids watch that and they learn that. Or we set an attitude which is predominantly negative in relation to the church because we're always complaining or moaning about something. And, and by the way, churches have lots of things to moan and complain about. But we set a predominantly negative attitude in relation to the church. Children read the attitude of the adults around them. They see if you want to be there or not. And, and it's terrifying how perceptive children are in relation to this. So what did Elijah do? Elijah was faithful in his calling. He didn't retire. He didn't give up. He just was persistent and resilient in that calling. Now, here's the thing. Elijah understood the need for that, and he wanted to convey this to Elisha. Now, I, I, I think um, Elijah knew what he was doing when he kept telling Elisha, don't follow me. I think Elijah wanted Elisha to follow him. I, I think he was just making it hard for him. Again, if you've ever raised kids, you'll know that I, I think it's important to give teenagers space to rebel in relation to things. <laughs> I was thinking church. It's great when the youth group hate everything and they want to change it all. And, uh, because that's what youth should be doing. <laughs> Demanding change and wanting something different so that they can take ownership for it. And, and I think Elijah was giving Elisha opportunity to rebel. <laughs> Don't follow me. Yeah, I'm going to follow you. <laughs> Don't follow me. Yeah, I'm going to follow you. <laughs> Don't follow me. Yeah, I'm going to follow you. You see, Elisha was learning from Elijah the importance of persistence and resilience in order to see the work of God. Desperately, we need to teach children resilience. When I visited Iraq, again, just before COVID, one of the things that I found amazing as I spoke to persecuted Christians who had been occupied by ISIS, and we're recovering from this period. And we, I was talking to them, and they were saying, what we're teaching the church is not how to escape persecution, but how to be resilient in persecution. We're building resilience into our people. You know, young people and children today need to learn resilience. It's such a vital element in becoming the people that God wants us to be. And you know, and those of us in all places of influence in the lives of children and young people need to teach them that persistence and resilience. Because here's the thing, it's not easy to follow God. It's not easy to give your life to him. So Elijah was faithful and Elisha learned the lessons of persistence and resilience from Elijah. If we are going to raise up a generation to follow us, then we must show that persistence and resilience and faithfulness in our service of God. The question is, do we have an attitude 
towards church, towards mission, towards God, that you would want to be replicated and modeled in the young. You want them really to have your attitude. If the answer is no, then maybe we need to think about our attitude. Secondly, Elijah had a, Elijah had a yearning to see God work. No. See, Elijah continued and persisted in his ministry because he wanted to see God work. And, and throughout the, the, the story of Elijah, we see that he did not settle for less, but wanted more of God's presence and power in his life. He wanted to see God do amazing things. And he wanted to teach Elisha that the work of God, that amazing work that God wants to do, is based on loyalty and devotion. And again, Elijah was invited to model that in relation to Elisha. So Elisha could learn that it is through commitment to a cause that you see God's work accomplished. You, you know, one of the things that happens uh, nowadays, and, and we, we do it all the time as well, is that whenever anything gets tough, we just quit. You know, the, the idea of commitment is just like, what's that? I, uh, I play with my grandchild Brilliant Games now, and uh, we had to pay for a computer program, much resentment, uh, to, to play on, on a tablet with, with my granddaughter. And, uh, and it's fascinating as we go through it, because it's, it's a numbers game, just so you know, counting to 20. I've struggled with it for a while, but I'm getting there. And, uh, and, uh, and, and there's all kinds of wee exercises. It's quite fun to do it, except she does it a hundred times. And it's like, oh, really, again? <laughs> you know that face. And, uh, but, but what's interesting is, you see, when it gets tough, it's like it's easy to, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. Go and do something else. And it's like, no, let's go back. Let's do it. Let's be committed. Let's demonstrate commitment because the foundation of the work of God is commitment. Commitment to one another, commitment to God, and commitment to the mission. Again, if we are going to be a people who are going to see a new generation rise up, we need to be committed to the mission and to the vision. You know, I started this talk about talking about giving, but there is a very obvious way that we are committed to the vision in terms of our finances. And again, as we come to gift day, it's something to think about. What is my commitment to the future and to the vision of this church and to the young people of this church look like in terms of my giving? But it's more than just financial. It's about a commitment that says, God, this is important and we are not going to give up until we see God's blessing. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament which relates to the way that Jacob wrestled with God. And um, my son, um, when he had a child that was lived for an hour and a half and then died, he named him Jacob. And I said to him, why did you name him Jacob? And he said, because he wrestled with God to live. And there is a moment 
with all of us where we have to wrestle with God. Where we have to wrestle with God and say, God, we are not going to let go until we know your blessing and your work accomplished. And you know, those of us who want to raise up a generation of children, a generation of young people who love God, who want to be that next generation, we need to be committed in a way that says we will not let go until we see this generation come through. For you, and, and many of us face this, you know, parents who have maybe not seen their kids follow in God's footsteps and, and, and end up serving God or loving God in the way that we wanted them to love God. You know, it's not then a matter of saying, oh, well, say, lovey, it's the 21st century, it's what happens. You know, it's a matter of that Jesse, Jacob wrestle where we say, we're not letting go. We're not letting go. We are going to pray and we're going to be committed and we're going to hang on in there until we see your work and your power occur. Elijah understood this. Thirdly, Elijah had, uh, Elijah had a yearning to see God's work and then uh, he knew that a new mantle had to be bestowed. It's interesting as the story goes on, as you read on in the verses, you'll see that Elijah crosses the Jordan. A lot of the imagery that we have in, in the book of Kings relates back to the Exodus. So you'll see that Elijah goes into the desert for 40 days. He crosses the Jordan. Uh, and uh, and he, he takes Elisha to the other side of the Jordan. So that, Jordan, so that Elisha will again cross the Jordan and reoccupy it. It's like the story's getting rerun. So we've done it, and we've done our story. Now the story needs to be rerun for another generation. And, and, and that's what's happening here. So Elisha, he crosses. So it's the beginning of a new story. The Jordan is again crossed. And a new thing is going to happen as God works. And, and, and it's very interesting to watch what happens. You see, there, there was a school of prophets. There's 50 of them that were told. And they had kind of journeyed with Elijah. For, for a wee bit of this. And uh, in the Old Testament, they had these schools. Don't you think it's a great idea? A school where you learn to prophesy. Well, that's kind of what they all did. And there was 50 of them, prophets. And uh, if you've ever worked with prophets, they're hard to work with. And uh, there was 50 of them together. And Elisha has now got the anointing of God upon him, and he crosses the Jordan. He's about to start his new story. And you know what the prophets do? They recognize Elisha and his role, and they empower him to do it. And it's great. Isn't that what happens? Do you know what happens if you read it? We didn't read it this morning, but read on up to verse 17 and 18. Now they all turn around and go, no, no, we want Elijah. <laughs> and Elisha's like, no, Elijah's gone. <laughs> We're doing the new thing now. God wants to do a new thing. And, and it involves young people being empowered to, to do a new thing. And they're all like, no, we need to find Elisha and get him back. And, and Elisha says, Elijah, we need to find Elijah and get him back. And Elisha goes, really? And because and, 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 he's not obviously got any authority, he goes, go ahead. So they go off and spend all this energy looking for Elijah. They don't find him. They come back and Elisha goes, I told you so. And they say, now will you recognize the new thing? You see, the third thing, if you're going to raise up a new generation, 
If we're going to raise up a new generation, we need to, put in a, we need to provide an example. If we're going to raise up a new generation, we need to uh, show and demonstrate commitment. But if we're going to raise up a new generation, we need to practice empowerment. You know, it's really important that we release young people into roles. One of the great frustrations and, and, and the struggles that we have as a church is seeing young people taking up roles. You know, there, there was a study that discovered most preachers, if they don't preach by 18, they'll never preach. It was discovered that most leaders, if they don't lead something by 24, they'll never lead something. I remember I was 19 years of age, maybe even 18 years of age, a long time ago. But, but I was given my first leadership role back through an organization called YWAM. Back then, at 19, I was given this team to lead, and all these university students came over from America, the Oral Roberts University, and uh, they believe in professing whatever you say with your mouth will happen. Interesting theology. And we went to camp, and I got up one morning and said, I think it's going to rain. That night, we got flooded out. They all blamed me because I negatively confessed and obviously caused the rain. And, and I was like, wow, is this what leadership is like? Why would you do it? But I was 19, maybe even 18. I was released into a leadership role. Somebody saw something and thought, we'll empower them, we'll give them opportunity, we'll give them the chance to lead. And, 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 and here, we need to be led. <laughs> we need to be willing to listen. We need to be willing to empower our young people. If we're going to raise up a new generation... We need to set an example which shows our love for God. We need to be committed to that future and to the future of the young people. And we need to empower the young people. I fundamentally believe that our vision and the future of this church has to have as a central part of it the work amongst children and young people. And I pray again as we come towards the gift day that we will release the resources that enable us to build that. We'll release people into the ministries to enable that to happen, and that all of us will pray, continue to pray for the young people in our lives and children that we have influence over, but also pray for the ministry of this church in this important area, that we will see God's presence and power demonstrated through a new generation. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the example of Elijah. We pray for the challenge of that example. Lord, help us to be the kind of people and the kind of church that raises up a new generation that has a zeal for you, that has a heart for mission, and that has a love of God and a love of others. Lord, help us to be the kind of church which cultivates and nurtures that sort of commitment to you that brings about a new generation who will demonstrate the glory of God to those around them. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.